Welcome to Out of the Ordinary, the podcast where we believe that the very best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary life. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. And a few of my favorite ordinary things are sleeping in on Saturdays, rereading old books, and late night conversations with my teens. Lisa Jo, I love a fire in the wood stove, that first cup of coffee in the morning, and flannel sheets on the bed. As usual, we are recording on the third floor of Christie's 100-year-old farmhouse called Maplehurst. And for those of you who already got your hands on her brand new book, Placemaker, then you know what it looks like here behind the scenes. In my own endorsement, I said, warning, this book will make you homesick for people as well as for places. It also might make you wish you had a green thumb and it will definitely move you toward your garden and your neighbors. And when you're done, you might be tempted to put Maplehurst into your GPS because some places just have to be seen in person. But Lisa Joe, Placemaker isn't just about this old house. It also tells the story of every place that came before from our first tiny apartment in Texas to a condo in the big city of Chicago, from failed DIY to a barn raising and all the trees I fell in love with along the way. Listeners, you can find it wherever you love to buy books. Pick up a copy as a gift to yourself and your home. Whether you love where you are right now or you aren't so sure, Placemaker is for all of us, the ones with deep roots, the ones just starting out, and everyone in between. Listen, what are you waiting for? Go right now. Pick up a copy for yourself and then you can thank me later. Lisa Joe, I just have to start this episode by saying thank you. And not just to me. <laughs> not just yeah. to you, but thank you to everyone for celebrating with me uh, about the release of Placemaker, for sharing your thoughts, for showing me pictures when you've bought the book, uh, for telling me how excited you are to read it. I just cannot tell you um, how much I am loving this experience of sharing that part of my creative life, the writing of books and publishing with our podcast community. It's a whole new thing. You know, we didn't have this podcast when we you know, put books out before. I know. So this has been it's really so fun, fun to see the pictures of Placemakers cover in so many feeds. Yeah. It is just you guys, there really is, as a writer, there's something about feeling like that thing you thought you were doing alone upstairs in your sweats and your doubt and your self-loathing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe I'll just speak for myself. Nope, it's true. But that is showing up in the homes and hands of other people. So if you have it, definitely go ahead and share a picture, tag Christy Purifoy or Lisa Joe Baker on Instagram or use the hashtag out of the ordinary podcast because it's just really, really fun to mm-hmm. see Christy's book showing up in your homes. That's right. The book is no longer mine. It now belongs to all of its readers. It belongs to you. So thank you, everyone. And thank you for listening to the last two episodes that were really all about Placemaker. Thank you for your comments. Thank you for your reviews you left on the podcast. Um, it's just been really fun and uh, just a huge huge blessing to share this with all of you. And it's got me thinking as we jump into this new conversation today, Lisa Joe, that I would love to hear from you just some stories about your own relationship 
to place because it's got to be complicated. You grew up on the other side of the globe, oh, I know. but Lisa Joe, you must you have know, stories to tell. This weather that we're having, you know, this cold and the sludge and the ice and the snow is so unfamiliar to me. And it's strange to me that now it just seems normal. I was having a conversation with my mother-in-law yesterday telling her how mild the winter has been and how lovely <laughs> it. it's been so fun to have snow, things I never would have said as a child. Mm. So yeah, I grew up in South Africa and places certainly shape us. And what I've learned is they don't just shape us. They shape our stories, but then they shape our kids uh. and they shape them in completely unexpected ways because I left South Africa. I left in my early 20s and I'm 44 now. I have lived in America longer than I ever lived in South Africa. How crazy is that? That must blow your mind. It's mind-blowing to me. And yet, my children identify in a way I never would have expected. And the story I wanted to share today really, though, is the idea of what we sometimes unknowingly pass on to our kids. We don't realize that in the choices we make, the places we live, the things we say goodbye to, the new opportunities we embrace— We are passing something down to our kids. We're always passing something down to our kids, but sometimes it's so unexpected. So this is my story of that. This is a story of a girl who grew up in the Southern Hemisphere, whose plumb line for natural beauty is the exact opposite of yours here to do with trees. Okay. Mine is the more barren, the better. Really? (laughs) Yes. I grew up, even though I'm from Pretoria, which is, you know, a city in the heart of South Africa, one of the capital cities, my father grew up on a sheep farm in the middle of really essentially the what you would think of as the West. You know, it's a pretty bleak, barren landscape in the Karoo is what the area is called in South Africa, K-A-R-O-O. Just bleak, scrubby sort of earth with little tufts of grass, maybe. And the sheep that can live in that environment have to be very hardy kind of sheep. And they raise these sheep called dorper sheep on this farm where you could just see for miles. You know, like the horizon is just flat. And you are, you know, traveling as a child, traveling from Pretoria through down toward, you know, the Cape area where the Karoo is located, you could travel for six hours and feel like you're not making progress because it just looks the same. It's just that open stretch of road, which I'm sure coming from Texas country. there are parts of Texas like that. <laughs> you can relate to. I mean, I know there are parts of America like yeah. that in the Midwest. Yeah. But for me, that's my earliest memory of beauty. That dry, golden hues, flat landscape, huge sky. At mm-hmm. night, you just walk out and there's stars as far as the eye can see. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, interrupted every now and again by a giant mountain just rising out of the earth where you least expected. And so you could judge our distance, how close we were getting to the farm by how big the mountain range would would appear, right? Initially, they're a tiny speck in the distance. And as you travel and travel and travel and travel and travel, they get bigger and bigger until you're driving right underneath, you know, the elbow of the mountain Mm -hmm. that's, that's protruding from the earth. So for me, that was my understanding of beauty. It was where I was from. I remember the smell of, you know, fire in the wintertime, that kind of part of the countryside would often catch fire or would burn in the winter. And I'm sure there are parts of the states that are like that too. Mm-hmm. There are, you know, parts of the landscape they would set fire to to be able to grow a new crop of fresh green grass underneath it, dust and smoke fires and 
you know, in the spring, though, when I think about trees, the tree I think about is the jacaranda tree. And it is this purple, stunning beauty that just bursts into a purple array of fireworks every October, which is really spring in South Africa. And Pretoria, the city I'm from, is known as the jacaranda city. It has Ah. purple jacarandas lining almost every street in the city. So when you drive there in the springtime, it is a carpet of royal purple it is so beautiful so beautiful oh, Lisa Jo I just oh. have to interrupt and ask when were you last there in spring I know Can I know you even it's remember? a long time since the spring because we've been home in American summer which is South African winter and it's especially special when I think about the jacaranda because my father's house now has a jacaranda tree mm. right out front so last week we talked about the saucer magnolia that you have mm-hmm. in your garden and we have a jacaranda tree and all my years of driving home to that house you come up a very steep driveway so Christie's house has this long drive of maple trees but my father's house is this very, very steep incline. It's hard to drive up. The house is built into the side of a mountain. It's called Honey Rock. We talked about that in one of our episodes. Mm. It's this rocky outcrop where there should be no house. And Mm. there this house is attached to the side of the hill. And right out front is a jacaranda. So when you drive up that driveway in spring, you drive up a purple carpet. It is, you cannot over-exaggerate how beautiful it is. And my father will send me pictures in the spring because it's so pretty. As a child, I always said I wanted to get married in that season (laughs) and have jacaranda petals, you know, as the confetti that they throw at me. So that is the heart of the heart of when I think of where I'm from. I think we all have that. No matter where you live now, you Mm -hmm. have a place that you are from. That is where I am from. I am from a place of bleak, barren, open felt. That's, you know, those golden hues, but also a place of these majestic purple trees. That's where I'm from. What I didn't realize is when I left that place, that you take a place with you, but you are always homesick for it. Homesickness isn't something you outgrow. It doesn't magically disappear. Mm. You just develop new versions of it depending on where you live. So now I live in the States, just outside of Washington, D.C., and I've often thought of my story as a tale of two trees. Ah. So you have the jacaranda tree in South Africa, but I grew up and fell in love underneath the cherry blossoms (laughs) of Washington, D.C. And I remember walking those sidewalks as an intern working in the city, realizing I was in love with this boy from the Midwest with his green eyes who'd never been overseas while walking on a pathway of these pink petals that had fallen from the cherry blossom trees. And so when I'm in South Africa, it's easy to be homesick for parts Mm. of the States. And when I'm here, I'm often homesick for South Africa. Mm. And I used to think to myself, well, at least my kids will be spared this, Uh right? They are here. We live here. We have roots here. We have close family here. Two of three were born here. Two of three were Mm -hmm. born here. What I did not realize, though, is that South Africa wouldn't be a place they think of just as where they go on vacation. They wouldn't think of it as a holiday, like going to the Florida seaside. They own it. They Mm. believe they are half South African, which, Mm. of course, they are. 
They see going to South Africa as going home, which means leaving South Africa. Mm. They have inherited from me the DNA of homesickness. Oh, they inherited your oh. loss, your yes, grief. Yes, <laughs> they inherited my love. Yeah. Oh. They inherited my love for this place. They inherited a love for the food there, for the tea that we drink, for the ritual of tea. They inherited my love for the language there. My 13-year-old to this day is bitter toward me that I don't speak Afrikaans constantly in our house because oh. he blames me for losing his chance to oh. learn <laughs> Another language, right? By mm. osmosis, as you do in South Africa. They inherited my love for all kinds of foods and tastes and flavors and drinks and restaurants that we take them to when we're there. And it was so painful to me the first time I truly understood they had inherited my homesickness. And, you know, the first time we came from South Africa to the States, Jackson, my oldest, was just a baby. So there's no way I knew yet, right? I, I just saw him as a tourist, in essence. He was with us. I remember the first time we came back through immigration. Oh, it's such a great story. We were coming from South Africa to the States. It was actually Jackson's first time coming into America since he was born right? in South Africa. He has dual citizenship. And as we were coming through immigration, and anybody who's done it knows how you feel. You're exhausted. You feel gritty and grimy. You're a little bit nervous because you're coming through customs and immigration. And we had this baby who had endured this 18-hour flight with us. He was in my arms. He was asleep at the time. And as we're coming through customs, this big, burly customs officer who I wouldn't have thought of as sentimental at all. He's stamping the passports. He has Jackson's little baby photo passport in front of him. He opens up the pages and so he can tell that there are no visa stamps. There are no stamps at all. This child, it's his first time entering. Uh -huh. And he stamps the passport. He leans over, looks at the sleeping baby in my arms and says, welcome home, son. Welcome home. <laughs> Start weeping because oh. it's just this beautiful moment of this child is born between countries being welcomed by his American legacy, you know, welcome home. And so I just assumed this would be home to him, mm -hmm. that America where he grew up, where he, you know, has roots, where he lives most of the time would be home to him. But of course, that is not true. And when we visited South Africa, when he was old enough to understand goodbye, he must have probably been six. And we had had just a really meaningful trip home with our family. And we do this thing with our kids when they reach certain milestone ages where we want to commemorate it, especially when it comes to boys. And so we, one of my favorite books that I've ever read about raising boys, really the only one I recommend to people is called Wild Things, The Art of Nurturing Boys. And we have it linked in the show notes if you want to go and check it out. But um, one of the authors talk about how for boys, it's really important to have ceremony to mark certain milestones in their lives. And so when Jackson was six, we were home in South Africa. And so we created what his dad called an adventure walk for him. And it was, you know, sort of a little hike toward our house and then up the back of the mountain. And he had to hike it by himself, but along the route um, at very clear intervals were different men in his life. So his dad, his uncles, his opa, um, his brothers, his stepbrothers. And so 
it was very meaningful because he, at each stage of that journey, had someone give him some piece of wisdom from their own life as becoming a man. So the whole trip had just been deeply meaningful, I think, at a new level. Mm -hmm. He was old enough to really form memories about being there. Um, I think he really, just from an auditory perspective, hearing so many different languages spoken in our home, he realized this is different, but this is mine. I have an inheritance in this place. And he's so beloved. He's so welcomed home. His South African family claim him, you know, when he's there. And I have a brother who's adopted, and my little brother, Krabo, was two when Jackson was born. So, Jackson has never known life without a big brother, and Krabo has been that for him. And Krabo has adored Jackson since the day he was born. He was there just hours (laughs) after Jackson was born. And, you know, we lived with my parents for several months after Jackson was born when we were home in South Africa. And I remember Krabo would refer to Jackson as my baby. Oh, as in, Lisa Joe, give me my baby. Oh. Or Lisa Joe, put my baby here. Or Lisa Joe, did you feed my baby? Oh. And I would sometimes walk into the room where I had put Jackson down, like, you know, he's having tummy time or whatever, and he'd be on a blanket on the tile floor and he wouldn't be there. And I would think, what happened? Like, I literally just poured a cup of tea and I'd look through the door and Krabble was just dragging the blanket oh. to wherever he had decided to move to oh. or play to next. And he would say, Lisa Joe, bring my baby. And then he would just drag Jackson. So, you know, by the time we were home when Jackson was six, Karabo was eight, and they just love each other. They are so close. I mean, truly like brothers. And as the time approached to leave for the airport, to return to the States, there is just that deep sadness that wells up in me. It is the worst feeling. It never gets easier. It's so painful. And of course, there's always a big tea we have right before we ah. leave. So we've packed. People have stopped by usually to say goodbye. We've, you know, our, our carry-ons are stuffed full of all our favorite South African candies. And then Vanda, my amazing stepmom, will make tea. So there's tea, of course, in Spode, China, and (laughs) cakes, chocolate cake for the kids, milk tart for the adults, rusks, we have tea, and those flights are always at night, the flights to the transatlantic flights, and so it's awful because it's dusk, which is, I just think, a sad time of day. There's something about dusk that's very sad. And we pack up, and of course, the kids don't realize yet, right? They're playing and having fun. Everything is fun and games. They are, Karabo wants to ride in our car. We have to take more than one car because we have so much luggage that it can't all fit into <laughs> one car with all of us. Everybody has to come. Mm. We, we arrive at the airport, and we always load up those big carts that you push your luggage on. We have like two or three of them, and that the kids love to sit on the carts, and Then we get to check in and we check in and we hand our passports. But then there's a place where you have to walk through the check-in and then into the line where customs is. And in South Africa, when you make that little tiny few steps of journey, you can actually still see the people as they walk through into the customs line. There's kind of a gloss wall, but you can see them. And, you know, it's those lines that you have at an amusement park. They snake, you know, with the partitions that are up. And we stood in that moment to say goodbye. And every one of our goodbyes is a terrible memory. I remember (laughs) when I would fly to college in the States. I remember one time my dad, 
I must have been like 20 or so. And there he was dropping me back again, knowing I'd be gone for the next nine months. And you know, those big stickers they put on luggage that say fragile. He had like a huge fragile sticker he'd found and stuck it across his heart. He's like crying. It's my favorite story ever. (laughs) So sad. Every time it's just so lonely and so sad. And so there we are, we cry, we hug, we say goodbye. And I watched Jackson's face as he realized, oh, I am going and Carabo is staying. I'm leaving and I'm leaving him behind. And we hugged and they hugged again and they hugged again. And then Carabo being eight, I watched his face change first and he just stood there and his eyes, his dark chocolate eyes just welled up with tears and he didn't even try and stop them. He just stood there and the tears just, the silent cry is really the worst. I think the silent tears just ran down his face and my little Jackson with his blonde, blonde hair and blue eyes just kept looking back over his shoulder, looking back over his shoulder as we're winding our way through customs and dad and Funda and the kids are all sitting there and every time we catch a glimpse of each other, they're waving madly and we're waving madly and Krabbo's just standing there silently crying and Jackson is just walking slower and slower. He's very quiet. He's not saying anything. We hand in our passports. We walk through finally where we have that moment where it's the last glimpse. We're not going to see them again. I lift Jackson up on my shoulder so he can see and he's waving and Grabo's just standing there quietly crying. And we keep walking. And then at that point, I kind of pick up the pace. We have to get to our gate now. And I'm walking and walking. I'm holding his hand. But the next thing I know, he's slowing me down. I can't walk. He's stopped walking. And he's just standing there in the middle of the hustle and bustle of this airport. And I look at him and his eyes are so big behind his glasses and he's holding his chest. And I look at him and I said, Jackson, what's wrong? And he goes, I don't know. And I get down in front of him on my knees and I look into his eyes and I say, what's wrong, buddy? And he goes, something's wrong with me right here. And he's pointing at his heart and he says, Something hurts. What hurts? Why does it hurt here? This hurts so much. Like right here, mom. It's really, it's really sore. And I looked at him and I realized in that moment I had passed on the DNA of homesickness. And it was such a difficult moment to realize, oh my gosh, this grief I've lived under for more than half my life. My six-year-old is just beginning the journey. It was such a hard moment to realize, oh, I've, I've, I've passed this on. This is his now. He's going to carry this as well. He's going to live a whole lifetime of goodbyes and hellos and goodbyes and goodbyes and goodbyes. And I got down on my knees and I just hugged him and I said, I know it hurts because you miss Krubs, right? And he said, yeah, I really miss him. And I just said, I know because you can't deny your kids in that moment. There's no making it better. There's no words that fix it. It's just true. It's just true. And we walked slowly back to our gate and we sat down on the ground and we drank Coke and we ate South African chocolate because it's the best in the world. And I sat next to him and I just realized, my goodness, I've passed this thing on to him. And it's easy, I think, as parents to beat ourselves up in those moments to wish you could take that away. But I realized if I took that pain away, I would also take away the rich beauty of his inheritance, this love for this other country, this place of languages and hurt and heartache and healing and hope, 
all the things that this legacy represents, I would take away if I took away his pain. And it was the truest, true moment of parenthood, Christy, Mm. where you look at your kids and you realize, my goodness, son, for you to experience the richness of this inheritance, I can't divorce it from the pain that comes Mm -hmm. with the same story. And it was just one of those moments I've looked back on time and again as a parent that has proved to be true in many other contexts as well. I feel like if you could take away the pain, you might be taking away the 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 kernel of his own story, his own right. journey, right. right? And while I think we would still do that as parents or you know anyone we love, we we do we want to save them the heartache and we want to save them from the pain. We know what pain has been in our own lives mm-hmm. that it has taken us places, it's carried us places. Like good has come out of it. And it is often the price of love. So your story reminds me, I think especially because you said that those early remember memories of the Karoo, like that was your sense of beauty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it was very different for me because I also remember traveling through um, some scrubby, (laughs) somewhat (laughs) barren landscapes, maybe not quite as extreme, but we would travel from our home in central Texas to my grandmother's farm where my father had grown up. So, very similar. Um, More North Texas, not quite West Texas, but um, maybe what people picture as West Texas, like picture that. Um, Not many trees, and the trees that are there are maybe planted pecan orchards or Mm. um, scrubbier trees, a, a drier landscape, rockier landscape. And to me, and I'm almost ashamed to admit this, but to me as a child and then as a adolescent, it was not beautiful. Mm. I I did not love it. It was mine. It was right, my inheritance, right. but it it was not beautiful to me. Honestly, I have, I feel like only learned um, to see and appreciate the beauty of Texas because I lost it, because I mm. left it, because I haven't lived mm. there in years. Now I can see <laughs> what was always there. Um, but I I did not feel at home in my home quite often as a kid and as a young woman. And so, really, it's no surprise that um, I left Texas um, almost as soon as I could at 20 and um, have, have not lived there since. And that's so interesting because that's the same age I left South Africa. Uh, we were both 20. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's a pivotal age. Oh, the irony, though, Lisa Joe. I, you know, have four children. They were not born in Texas. They have only visited um, they are the tourists, you know, it is yeah. the vacation place to go stay with um, grandparents and, and other family. And my son, my Thaddeus, who's quite close to age, uh, same grade as Jackson, Jackson right. will tell me, Mom, why did you ever leave Texas? Wow. Texas is the best. Wow. When no. I grow up. Your chickens have come home to roost. Yes, my goodness. When I grow up, I'm going to live <gasps> in Texas. What is it that he loves about it? I ask him that. <laughs> I mean, I think it's similar to to your son. Uh, you know, he feels connected to it. Family is there. He's had wonderful time with family there. He uh, he loves that being outdoors. He loves a lot of space. He's an introvert. He doesn't mm-hmm. like to feel crowded. Or mm-hmm. so cities. Even though he was born in Chicago, yeah. <laughs> cities are not his favorite. He loves the open country. Mm-hmm. So spending time. Uh, my grandmother's no longer living, but he has spent time on her farm. It's still there in the family. 
family. Um, I think, yeah, it's those wide open spaces. It's the culture there of agriculture and being around animals and also hunting mm. that appeals to mm-hmm. him. And that's something that isn't, uh, <laughs> not here in it's rural not, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I mean, there are certainly hunters <laughs> in Pennsylvania, but Jonathan and I, that's not, right. um, you know, our right. our uh, pastime or hobby, um, but um, he's been introduced to that in Texas. So, it's it's a number of things. Um, but what I've realized, so I, I was surprised at first by my reaction to him saying that, because I at first thought, well, what a waste. I left. Oh, I carried him to these exciting, yes. wonderful new places. <laughs> And it is all lost on him. He does not appreciate it. He does not appreciate what he has. And I would sometimes argue with him. Well, Thaddeus, what about this? What about that? Uh, You you have access to these big cities. You have this, you have that. These are the things I love about where we live. Or about the city where you were born, things you've experienced. And I would almost try to argue with him or convince (laughs) him that, no, really, you have it better. eyes to see. (laughs) And then it dawned on me slowly that feeling not quite at home, not quite at ease in the place where I was growing up, was a very important part of my own story. Hmm. It sent me searching for home. And and that search has really been the substance of my life. It, it, it's been the question and the longing that has um, led me to uh, grow spiritually. It's led to the books I have written. I mean, think of them, two books about home, right. <laughs> really. And, and the questions I ask and the stories I tell all have their roots in those childhood experiences of feeling not quite at home. Hmm. So it's, I would not be who I am doing the work I'm doing or seeing the world the way I see it if if I hadn't had those experiences of not feeling at home, of searching for home, and of finally feeling at home. Hmm. I felt at home in Chicago. I now feel at home in Pennsylvania. Um not perfectly, but yeah. as much as you know, right. we're able to feel right. at home on this earth, I do feel at home. So finally, I was able to recognize that, well, my son is going to live a story as mm. well. It's, it's, already, it's already prepared for him, not in all of its details, but certainly the brushstrokes, I think, are, are prepared for him. Things are, and experiences and adventures are prepared for him by the one who made him and knows him better than I know him. Mm. <laughs> And why would I ever, ever take away <laughs> the very seed um, that might be the thing that launches him into the mm-hmm. into that story, into that adventure? And while I don't know, will he go back to Texas? Is that is that the destination for him? I don't know, but I do believe. I believe strongly that the things that are calling to him about Texas, the the things he has felt in that place, the things that he feels like I want, the desires that it is obviously stirring up in him, mm. those I believe are are um, God given. They are the things that will reveal himself to himself as he grows up you know growing up is so much a part of just learning who who we are and and how we're made and our uniqueness and i think if if he can press into those longings whatever texas represents for him that that will be a a real process of self-discovery for him and 
And, uh, you know, it'll just be an important part of his story. So I've, I've learned, <laughs> I still argue with him sometimes, actually. <laughs> but I've learned to say, like, Thaddeus, I understand. I understand. You have seen beauty and you have um, experienced emotions and things that are calling to you. And I hope you'll pursue them. Um, I, I really do hope that. So it's so, so interesting to think that I've, in a way, I have to pass that on right. to him. That's so encouraging to hear that version of it, especially your openness to understanding that he has a story that's being written for him. And in some ways, it's part of your trajectory, but in others, it's going to be his own unique story. I think for me, my homesickness has defined such a large part of my both, you know, young adult as well as adult life that I have a fear of it and mm. want to try to guard my children. And so, you know, my kids talk about when they're older, they want to go spend their summers in South Africa. Uh. They want to experience it. Oh, and no, you'll be the one at the airport terrible. with a fragile sticker on your How can this happen? Like, I do yeah. not want to inherit this legacy. I don't want them to fall in love with someone from another country. I want them to meet someone from three blocks away right. and move into the house next door to yes. me. Like, this is what I want in my life now. Oh. And it is very hard to have the courage to say, Lord, I will trust you with the story. Because I've often felt when I talk to my dad about his years of missing me, of saying goodbye, of letting me go, I just, I say to him, well, first of all, on a non-deep level, I say, what were you thinking? Like, were you out of your mind? <laughs> Why like, did you tell me it would be so hard? This like days before cell phones and Skype and Voxer. Like, I mean, there was no way. we The phone bills, that we had to actually pay money. And this wasn't <laughs> like how you can do WhatsApp now and talk for free or FaceTime. There was none of that. There was no way to keep consistently in touch. You just had to, on faith, trust I was okay. But beyond that, I've often grieved, did I make a mistake? You mm -hmm. know, was it a wrong choice? Was I just stupid in my 20s and thought it'd be fun to go to America and had no clue what the consequences would be? Mm -hmm. Because there are our consequences. The person you then end up marrying is from here where you live and so is this family and now my kids are. And I often wonder if I made a mistake not because I'd want to undo the family I have now, but because of the grief I've experienced over years of loss, missed weddings and missed yeah. graduation parties and missed birthday parties and missed being there for a new cousin, nieces and nephews born. That loss is real. And you feel it at a very deep level. And it is fatiguing to keep in touch long distance. It yeah. takes a great deal of commitment and energy. And then there's just the constant loss of my children who have missed out on having all those nieces, you know, cousins, yeah. just tons and tons of cousins. We have a huge family in South Africa. Yeah. I feel that loss too for my kids. I remember mm -hmm. um, the last time I was home, we were there for my dad's birthday. He turned 70 and it was a really beautiful trip home. One of the things my brother did and as part of a gift that the kids all gave to my dad was to arrange for a photographer to come and to do a big photo session where we're all there, just beautiful, beautiful images. And it was a very, as always, right, it's all this meaning crammed into two or three short weeks. When I was saying goodbye to, the, to my dad at the airport and we were having our fragile sticker moment and mm. I looked at him and just said, I just worry so much that I made a mistake. And now my kids have to reap that consequence. Mm. And it's so unfair that I did that. He said to me, no, if you hadn't left, 
I often wonder if you would have had the opportunity to write and communicate and speak the way you do now. Mm. Because South Africa, as much as it's filled with amazing authors and poets and communicators, it is far away Mm. from where the rest of the global conversation is happening. And I know from my brothers as filmmakers who do incredible, who produce incredible pieces that are widely, highly regarded in South Africa are often trying to bridge into Mm. the international market. And my dad just said to me, if you hadn't come to the States, I don't know if you would have had the same voice as you have now. Yeah, that makes sense. And it, it felt like that's exactly right. It made sense of what felt like a loss, that I was able to revision it as a gain, an opportunity that I wouldn't have had in quite the same way if I was still in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And sure, there are a lot of costs you pay mm-hmm. at the same time. I don't know that it makes it perfect or balances out the score in any way, but at least there's a sense of meaning yeah. in the same way that your moving has given you the sense of of home and calling to write about it and to make placemaking true. Mm-hmm. For me, the stories I've been able to tell in a way that I might not have from South Africa helped me feel like I could understand understand that loss in a fresh way. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about my son's face and the sadness every time we leave, I think as my brother has often said, when you travel, you can't unsee that fresh perspective on the world. And so I think each of my kids has this very unique lens they see the world through now as much bigger than just where they are now. And as more than just a place you gain, they actually understand loss in a way that you can't just an average, you know, upbringing. They understand the language of loss and homesickness in a way that I pray now, as you do for your Thaddeus, that God will use that in their story mm-hmm. as they become the storytellers for others, for themselves, for their own family. But gosh, it takes a degree of courage. I'm not sure I've quite mastered yet. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how one generation sets in motion (laughs) things that are handed down to the next generation. I often think of the fact that my family, although we're not spread out globally quite like yours, we are very spread out and have always been. And I grieve the loss of of being able to live nearby or cousins spend a lot of time together or see my parents more often. And I feel that I can trace it back to the fact that my father left the farm. Hmm. Um, his, His brother didn't leave the farm and his brother has over the years tended to keep his family closer to home and they've I, I'll see photos online they're celebrating a birthday together an mm. anniversary together I and know, we, I see those too. we are not doing that so often enough it's so hard to do it and so I know that the choice my father made to leave the small town and the farm set something in motion that I have inherited and my siblings and now my children and it there is a loss But there is also gain. There is also, I feel like his choice to leave set me free in a way so that I I could also make a choice to leave. I didn't I didn't see the beauty around me in Texas, but I was free because of the choice my father made to also set out on That's an adventure. So interesting. I've never connected dots like that because my dad is the same. All of his siblings remained pretty close to the family farm, but mm. my dad left. He wasn't a farmer. He became mm. a doctor. He worked as a doctor on a you know missionary hospital. He came to the States to study. I mean, he constantly took steps and spread his wings now in the same ways Mm. that I have done too and I hope I will have his courage one day to drive my children to the airport (laughs) and say goodbye I think 
Seeds planted by one generation sometimes take root and grow in the next, and we just can't even see um, but you know the, the fullness of it. But I just want to hold on and trust that um, when those choices are made in faithfulness and God, God waters those seeds and prospers them, that the result is something fruitful and good.